This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Whether you're working from home or you're working on your fitness, you want what you're listening to to be what you're listening to and not what your roommates or neighbors or parents or siblings or anybody else around you is listening to. Do you get my drift? Everybody needs a great pair of wireless earbuds. But before you go dropping hundreds of bucks on a pair, you need to check out the ones that I have. Wireless earbuds from Raycon. Now, you already know that Raycon earbuds start at about half the price of other premium wireless earbuds on the market. And they sound just as amazing as the other top audio brands that you know of. And their newest model, the Everyday E25 earbuds, are their best ones yet. Six hours of playtime, seamless Bluetooth pairing, more bass, and a more compact design that gives you a nice, noise-isolating fit. Raycon's wireless earbuds are so comfortable, they're perfect for conference calls or binging podcasts. I love it. I love the way they sound. I use them for music and business both. Pick up a pair and see what the hype's all about. Now is the time to get the latest and greatest from Raycon. Get 15% off your order at buyraycon.com slash Rome. Buyraycon.com slash R-O-M-E and get 15% off. Again, Raycon wireless earbuds. Buyraycon.com slash Rome. If you listen to the why, but it's true, the narrative as to why Colin and then others have taken a knee, and even those that didn't, that didn't protest, didn't take a knee, that have supported them doing it. That's what patriotism is. It's about loving your country so much, you know, you'll do what you can to make it better. And I think, I don't think Colin hates America. That's my opinion. I think he's disappointed in it. Welcome to episode 133 of the Jim Rome Podcast, and thank you very much for being here. If you've been listening to my daily radio program, then you know there's one topic that has been far more important than the rest. We have been covering it there. We're going to cover it right here as well. The topic being the protests in the streets in response to the death of George Floyd at the hands of the Minneapolis police. We have talked about that, and we've talked about how it relates to the world of sports. Of course, it was Colin Kaepernick who famously protested police brutality, racial inequality, and social injustices by taking a knee during the national anthem. Many of you know that. But not all of you remember where that idea came from. It came from a former Green Beret and NFLer, Nate Boyer. Nate joins me today to share his thoughts on how he and Kaepernick came together initially and to look ahead at the challenges that we face as a nation. That's episode 133 of the Jim Rohn Podcast, and it's coming at you right now. Nate, it's great to run you down. It has been a minute or so, and needless to say, Nate, these are extremely challenging and troubling times. So first off, how are you, and what have the last couple of weeks been like for you? I mean, I'm, I'm doing good. Uh, you know, just stressed as I think everybody is. Uh, obviously, I, I, I have a different experience, um, you know, as everybody else does as well. Like, everybody's got our own unique situation going on. Um, you know, fortunate in a lot of ways. Uh, and also inspired in a lot of ways by a lot of what's, what I've seen, what's kind of happened. Uh, but it's, 
you know, it's been 2020 has been nuts. And we're only halfway through it. So absolutely probably the craziest year since I've been alive anyway. So. I was going to say, you know, I've- uh, but yeah, I'm doing good. Yeah, good. I'm glad to hear that, Nate. I was just going to echo what you were saying. I don't ever remember any time ever like this. You know, for those who do not know the background, before we look ahead, why don't we go back for a minute. For those who don't know the story, when and how did you and Colin Kaepernick first come together? I met Colin in 2016 during the uh, NFL preseason. So, you know, that year, obviously, we had a a pretty big election. It was Team team Trump versus Team Hillary. Uh, Our our country had felt like it had been been pulled apart for quite some time. You know, we were we were we were divided. We were dividing, and uh, it was it was a challenging time as well. You know, similar in some ways to what's going on now. Uh, and it was it, it was a situation where Colin had been sitting on the bench uh, for a couple of weeks in a row during the national anthem, and uh, finally, uh, I believe it was Steve Weish. Uh, asked him, you know, what, what's going on? What are you doing? Uh, and Steve Weiss is a, you know, an NFL Network reporter. And he just said, hey, I'm doing this. I'm not going to stand for a flag of a country that oppresses black people and people of color. He said this is about police brutality, uh, social injustice, uh, racial inequality. And, you know, these, these are the ways that this, this is the way I feel about my country. I feel like it's not representing everybody equally. And I'm not going to stand until I see things change. So obviously everybody had their own reaction to that. Um, I initially was hurt personally because I grew up a big Niner, 49er fan, big Kaepernick fan. Once he, uh, you know, came to the Niners, and you know, he took us to a Super Bowl, back to the promised land. We we hadn't been very good for a long time, and uh, hadn't had a guy. You know, Steve Young was kind of the last guy before that that was just just a winner. You know, and just found a way to win. And then when I saw this, given my background being in the in the you know the Army Special Forces and 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 deploying and also spending time doing relief work in Darfur. Uh, I, I, I felt like, Hey, th- you know, I, I understand what you're saying, but I mean, this country is the best, you know, and there's no oppression here compared to like places like that. And it just was, uh, it was sort of a, it wasn't the best attitude to have because it wasn't very open-minded of me I could, to even think that way. So I, I checked myself, especially after seeing how a divisive top, how much of a divisive topic it became. Uh, you know, just the fact that he wouldn't stand for the anthem. They weren't even listening to the narrative as to why. So I wrote this open letter to Colin explaining my background, my experiences, but then also saying, but you know what? I only know what it's like to be me. I, 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 I guess I've done these things, and I feel this way when the flag is uh, raised and the anthem's played, but those emotions are based on my experiences, and I, got, I have to do a better job of understanding that not everybody has that same experience. And uh, at the end of the day, I took the oath to defend the Constitution when I joined the military, and, and obviously the First Amendment's in that Constitution, freedom of speech, freedom, freedom of expression. And he was inspired by the letter. He actually reached out to me and wanted to meet. So I went down to San Diego, final preseason game of the year against the Chargers. It's military appreciation night. They've got a flyover, Navy SEALs jumping into the stadium, an African-American sailor in the Navy is going to sing the national anthem, and Colin says he's not going to stand. And uh, so we talked for a good hour and a half, talking about our backgrounds, experiences, why he's doing what he was doing. I was learning and gaining a better understanding of everything. And then he asked me at the end of the conversation, do you think there's another way I can protest that won't offend people in the military? And I said, no. <laughs> I said, no matter what you do, some people will be offended by it. It doesn't matter what you do. You know, it's just, that's just the way it's going to be. I can speak for myself and, you know, I don't speak for the military or, or any, anybody but me, but when I see you sitting on the bench isolated by yourself, it looks 
as though you're making it either about you or that you're kind of sitting this thing out and you don't really care. And I know after talking to you, that's not at all what you, what you're about. And, uh, I said, it's, I think it's important that you're alongside your teammates. If you're asking me, um, a better way to show respect because you know, in the military, we're always alongside our brothers in arms, no matter what. And we disagree on a lot of stuff. You know, we believe a lot of different things, but we work towards work together towards that mission and that common goal shoulder to shoulder. So I said, I think the only other option, if you're committed to not standing, you know, the, taking an easy only thing that probably doesn't look absolutely ridiculous. So, and it's also respectful, you know, it's a respectful gesture. Um, people take a knee to pray, propose when a player's hurt on the field, players take a knee out of respect. And, you know, when I go visit Arlington and visit my brother's grave, I'll take a knee and spend a few minutes with, with him, you know, paying respects and saying hello. And, and uh, it's just never seen as a disrespectful act. Uh, ever until now we've, we've seen this this knee taken on George Floyd's neck, which is a little different. Um, and so he did. He thought it was more powerful. Colin thought it was a better representation of what he was trying to do. And, you know, he didn't want to offend people in the military. He made that very clear to me and the press. Um, and so that night he took a knee on the sideline and I stood next to him. And the narrative has been changed a million times since then as to why. It certainly has, Nate. I want to remind our listeners that you were a Green Beret. You served in Iraq. You served in Afghanistan. Six years in the Army. I mean, there's so much to unpack in that answer. It's so interesting. Did you ever, Nate, ever, ever think that taking a knee would be construed as disrespectful? Well, I mean, yeah. And you know what? I'll be honest. I understand why people perceive it that way when they see it, if they don't hear as to why. And, and I, and I understand because, because man, I feel just like Drew Brees said when he, you know, he was, he had comments a, 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 well, just a few days ago that, that really, you know, spurred us again and, and, and caused quite a, quite a debate. But like, I feel the same way that he feels when the anthem was played. I feel that pride. I feel that emotion. The one game I got to play in with the Seahawks, I was on the sidelines during the anthem for the first time in my life. Cause in college, we're in the locker room during the anthem. I was on the sidelines and I started crying because I just felt so there's that swell of emotion. And like, I mean, I've carried caskets with, with uh, my best friend, a casket with my best, best buddy and it draped in an American flag. And like those symbols mean something very special to me, very different to me. Um, so I get why people have that emotion, but if you're not willing to listen as to why, or at least acknowledge that not everybody feels that way and that's okay. Like we should strive as a country together and especially those that feel that pride to make this place better and to make it, to bring it to a place where everybody at least try to bring it to a place to where everybody feels the way that we feel. Then, I mean, to me, that's what America is all about. We're, we're, we're not about just being good enough. We're just, you know, settling on, Oh, it's a, you know, things are okay. Things are worse other places. So what's, what's the big deal? That's not who we are. And so, so to me, you know, that's, what's been frustrating about it. Um, and, but, but I, but I acknowledge that people feel, some people feel disrespected and like, you know, they feel like the, disrespectful of the anthem, but that's not his intent. That's not his intentions, and I think that's important to, to clarify. So when was the last time you spoke to Colin? I honestly haven't spoken to Colin in a couple of years, not for any bad reason. I mean, we stayed in touch through uh, the 2016 season into 2017, uh, through some of that season, and and then, you know, just different paths. But uh, I, I've stayed in contact with a lot of the other players that are still in the league that have kind of taken up the mantle and uh, continue to speak out, continue to be involved in trying to make changes uh, in the criminal justice system. Um, you know, and, and I mean, it's, it's obviously a big debate again now, uh, but there's a lot happening and, you know, the, the NFL is acknowledging they didn't handle it 
the best, you know, but I mean, from the top, Roger Goodell said that. So there has been change. There has, there is movement, but you know, I'm not personally in contact with them right now, but I mean, I totally would be, I'm, I'm, I'm absolutely open to it. So when you mentioned Roger Goodell, for instance, do you like what you've heard from him so far? And what do you make, for instance, of that video, Nate, that he released and the fact that he did not mention Kaepernick by name? Yeah, I know that's been kind of fiercely uh, debated. I, I don't want to read into that too much. I mean, it's it's uh, that's a tough one. I mean, just because I know um, and I understand people have every right to feel like that was intentional and be upset about it or whatever. But I also know, I personally know Roger, and I know he does a lot of good stuff uh, for players in the league, and he, tr- he is trying to listen. He's also, he's got a very nuanced job. I mean, that is, uh, the NFL is a huge industry. It's a biz- big, big business, and he's got a lot of people he's got to answer to, uh, and sponsors and owners and all this stuff. I mean, I think, uh, I, I appreciate that he did it. I like that he did it. Um, you know, part of me feels like, yeah, they kind of had to also. So there's that. Um but yeah, I, 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 I didn't take that as an intentional um, lack of acknowledgement to Colin himself personally, but I, I understand why some people did. You know, some, people, some people felt like that was, that was wrong of him to not, to not acknowledge that he screwed that situation up or whatever. So and that's, that's, their, that's their prerogative. Now, you mentioned Drew Brees. That's somebody else you know. You know him personally, and you know the work that he's done in the community. Were you disappointed when you heard his comments? I mean, certainly he has doubled back. He's apologized. He even took on the president. But when you first heard the comments that he made last week, was that disappointing? Yeah, it was disappointing, you know. And it was simply because um, it, it, it just didn't, it just did it was just a lack of acknowledgement, like we, like we talked about, that it's okay to feel the way that he feels, but that other people don't feel that way. And also, it distracts from the narrative. You know, it made it, sound like it, it's all about, oh, they're protesting the anthem, or they're protesting America, or they're protesting the flag, not protesting during the anthem about these other things, about police brutality, social equality, uh, or social social justice, racial inequality, stuff like that. So like that, that was frustrating. But I mean, I knew that what was more frustrating is because knowing the type of man Drew is, you know, and what he's done for the city of New Orleans, not only post-Katrina, um, so much more. And, and for the state of Louisiana, I mean, the guy helped get a bill passed that secured voting rights for formerly incarcerated people in Louisiana. And that was one of the last two states that didn't have that. And he was a big part of that push. I mean, the city is ta- New Orleans has talked about replacing his statue where Robert E. Lee's statue was. Like, that's a real conversation. And obviously, you know, uh, and that, that probably won't happen now, um, even, even with his apology. But, like, that was just, that was what was disappointing. It just it distracted from the narrative. And I'm glad that he's corrected that, though. We all say things we regret. I said something stupid on the air yesterday. You know, it was this dumb joke that that was, you know, some military humor thing, and it didn't land. And it was, I wish I didn't say it, you know. Uh, Drew's was just amplified so much more um, because of who it is also. And uh, I'm glad he sticks that, though, because he, he, does, he does do a lot. He does a lot for the veteran community as well. And, uh you know, he's a good man. We, we shouldn't judge somebody on, on one thing, you know, on one situation like that. Um, that was maybe a slide of tongue or just a thoughtful moment uh, that, that has been corrected now. Yeah, I think in a lot of cases, Nate, my personal opinion is sometimes people will apologize and they're not necessarily sorry for what they did or what they said, but they're sorry for the position they find themselves in. When I listen to Drew Brees right now, I was disappointed in what he said last week. But in the things that he said since then, I think that 
He strikes me as somebody who truly is sorry for what he said and for not having a better understanding of the issues. I think I think it's legitimate. I think it's genuine. You know, and I think you make the point. Yeah, I think you make the point too, Nate, that the flag, the flag represents many different things to many different people. So I'm curious. Once again, you were a Green Beret. You served in both Iraq and Afghanistan. So what did you think when you first heard the president, Donald Trump, say that the gesture was, quote, unpatriotic? I mean, that that that, that frustrates me, too. You know, that, that also disappoints me. Because if you listen to the why, if you listen to the why, if you listen to the why, I mean, I'll say it a million times, but it's true. The narrative as to why Colin and then others have taken a knee, and even those that didn't, that didn't protest, didn't take a knee, that have supported, um, that supported them doing it, you know, vocally or now in protest in the streets or doing something, taking action to actually change, uh, change the uh, reform, the criminal justice system, all those things. If you look at the why, it's about, that's what patriotism is. It's about loving your country so much you know, you'll do what you can to make it better. And I think, I don't think Colin hates America. That's my opinion. I think he's disappointed in it. And it may come off that way to some people sometimes because, you know, of some of the things that he, that he says. But from my interactions with him, and it's, they're, granted, they're limited, um, but also so many of the other players in the league that either have knelt or have at least supported those players' decisions to do that, it is patriotic what they're trying to do, what the message is. It's about making this place better. It's about striving towards equality. It's about including practices in policing. I mean, that's one thing about this last, these last couple of weeks. So many people, millions of people that have never either taken the time or really had the opportunity to see some of the ugliness that, that needs to get fixed, right? Uh, now we've seen it in the streets with the, with the protests and just some of the, the lack of training, the lack of uh, understanding, and, and also just some of the people that shouldn't be wearing that uniform, you know? So like now we're at this place where everything's binary, of course. I mean, that's where we've been for a while and that's frustrating. I mean, I, I, I don't think I, I, there's so much more gray area to me in a lot of these uh, conversations, but also like what's important to me at this point is like, okay, how are we going to restore honor in the badge and make the right people want to be cops? <laughs> Cause we absolutely need them. We can't just get rid of police. That's, I'm sorry, but that's not going to work. That's not going to happen. So like, how do we, how do we come together to, to restore honor in that badge and you know, find more people from these neighborhoods that should be patrolling their own neighborhoods, um, finding a way to, to honor the ones that hate what they see when the people that are standing you know, next to them do something horrible? Because not all of them are just uh, you know, standing by watching this stuff happen. There's a lot of them that hate that. There's a lot of them that are out there in the streets taking a knee this week, cops alongside protesters because they want to see it change too. And they're of all different colors. So like, how do we find more of those people and keep those people in the force and then, you know, uproot uh, the weeds and the ugliness and, and make sure that we're more accountable and that people are, they cops understand they're not above the law. Like, how do we do that? I I don't have the answers to that, but like, that's gotta be a main focal point now, I think moving forward. And I think that president Trump's got to get behind that, you know, he's got to like, it's just, focus on the flag, to focus on the anthem, to focus on whether kneeling or sitting or standing on your head is, is disrespectful. It's just, it's not going to get us anywhere. We're not going to move forward. We're going to be spinning our wheels and running through sand forever. And uh, I'm not on board for that. 
You know, Nate, you mentioned early in the conversation that when you first sent that letter to Colin Kaepernick, you were thinking to yourself, man, I, I've seen real oppression. I was in Darfur. I've served. I know what oppression looks like. What does he know about oppression? And then you came together with him and you exchanged ideas and you had a much better idea of where he was coming from. I'm curious. I think that a lot of people, and I hear this even on a sports talk radio show, Nate, where people say it's not like that. It's not like that. And my response is, how can you say it's not like that when so many people are saying this is exactly what it's like? It's their experience. It's not like that for you. I'm curious. What did you think when you saw Derek Chauvin's knee on George Floyd's neck? When you first saw that video, what did you think? It was it was inhumane is the best way to put it. And that's like a polite term, I guess. But in, inhumane. I mean, it was disgusting. And, uh, and it, man, it hurt me way more than any protest ever would. Any peaceful protest, you know, any shoot, any riot for that matter, as long as people aren't hurt. Like that was just, it was murder, <laughs> you know, and it was just a lack of care. And I, I don't care. People will bring up, oh, he had a criminal record and, you know, his autopsy showed that he had, you know, drugs in his system. Like, I don't care. Does that make, that does never makes that okay, what happens. Like, like that, that visual. And it's going to be etched in people's minds forever. And there's plenty more like that that we've never seen. And there's others that we have seen that just didn't get the play that this one got, um, I think, because of the time we're in. So, of course, I'm not going to be grateful for the coronavirus in this you know, the situation we're in in 2020, but without all these circumstances, maybe this change doesn't happen the way it's happening. And, uh, and so as much as social media drives me absolutely nuts, um, I'm grateful for it in this situation because it, uh, and it's divided us like crazy, but still we wouldn't be able to see these things of people that would never, that would constantly ignore them to get back to your question. People that will constantly ignore them up and down forever. You can't ignore that. You just can't. I don't know how you can. It, it, it if, if you can justify that in some way, um, then, then, you, then you're inhumane to me as well. So knowing what you know now, would you, as it relates to you and Colin, would you change anything? Or if you could go back, would you have the same exact conversation with him that you had then if you could do it all over again? I would. Uh, I would definitely try to do a better job of educating myself. Um, and granted, it all happened very fast. You know, once I wrote the letter and then he reached out and we met the next day, it was like bang, bang, bang. But, uh, and I, and I continue, I need to continue to do that. Like I can, I, there's so much I need to learn, uh, still, you know, and I don't understand. And I still have an issue with, I'm a human being. Like I, I, I make a judgment on something, you know, and like I generalize and I hate that I do it, but I have to continually check myself. And, uh, I think also part of the fact that I was probably a little naive to everything back then. Maybe it helped me. Maybe it helped me to just be like, maybe I wouldn't have done what I did. Maybe I wouldn't have even suggested that if I wasn't so naive to the wildfire it would have started. You know what I mean? And uh, I, I mean, I'm proud, of, I'm proud of what I did in the situation. I wouldn't change what I suggested. Um, and and I'm, I'm proud of Colin for doing that. You know, I'm proud of him that he risked a lot. He stood up for something, even if he didn't. You know, that's another thing. People go, like, well, he didn't experience it. He was raised by white parents and blah, blah, blah. Who, once again, who cares? He's standing up for people um, that do experience it every day. You know, and they're not living the American dream. A lot of these people are living the American nightmare. And they need somebody uh, to step up for them and take that chance. And it's a lot more comfortable and it's a lot easier now, almost four years later, to to, to step up and to do something and to speak out on it. It's a lot more comfortable now. 
It wasn't comfortable back then. Not at all. Not even close. And, uh, and he did that. He took that chance and got to commend him for that. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm proud that he, that he reached out to me. He didn't even know me. He just read that letter. And uh, I'm glad that happened. That was two people that do not see eye to eye on everything. Um, agree in a lot of things. We're more similar than we are different. Absolutely. Totally different experiences. Can, can sit down and just have a conversation uh, at a pretty tumultuous time and not only respect the other's opinion, but like take, uh, take some advice and take like a, uh, be willing to, to give a little. Like I never would have guessed I'd be standing that day next to somebody protesting during the national anthem. You know, for me, that was hard. And I got attacked for even having the conversation or just for standing there or suggesting that he kneel rather than sit, whatever. Um, but I can't imagine what he has endured as far as since that day, you know, and what so many others have endured before that day and throughout our history. Um, so I, 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 you know, I, I don't see it as sacrifice for me. I see it as a great opportunity and a, a blessing that I was at least involved in the conversation and got to hear firsthand um, the why. And, uh, and yeah, I am proud of that. Yeah, I mean, who could have ever known that when you sat down with him in the lobby of that hotel in San Diego before a preseason game, that it would ever evolve into something like this? And Nate, like you point out, it was so much more difficult even four years ago to make a stand like that. It would never be easy, but it was so much more difficult four years ago. And, and to me, it's 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 tragic that something that the things that are happening right now had to happen for a light to be shined on this the way it is right now. But think how differently he is seen right now as compared to even a year ago. And if we were to project forward, ultimately, how do you think Colin Kaepernick is going to be viewed and remembered if we were to spin this thing out 20, 30, 40 years? Man, think about just two weeks ago. Right, right. <laughs> you know, right. I mean, crazy. I'm with you. And, and I was one of these people that even thought, even after I met with him, even after – Sitting, you know, sitting down with him, having a conversation. Even after a couple of years of that, I, 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 I kept thinking, you know what? Though it's not, it's not Jackie Robinson. It's not Muhammad Ali. Like that's different. Those are different times. You know, that's civil rights movement. That's, uh, you know, fighting segregation. That's just, uh, it's, it's just different. I'm sorry, but Colin will never be on that, on that, uh, uh, you know, up on that that Mount Rushmore, if you want to call it. And I was wrong. I, I think that uh, I think that he will. You know, I think that uh, just that gesture, not even anything he's really ever said, but just that gesture um, and, and stepping out on that ledge like that, um, I guarantee he had a lot of people telling him this is not a good idea. And I had plenty of people reach out to me, Jim, that are, you know, people I greatly respect, some people in the media, some not, that said, dude, don't do that. You, you back away from the situation now before it's too late. Like it's volatile, it's a bad idea. And now these people, wrapping their arms around him, embracing them and calling out, you know, everybody that was upset with him at the time, you know, and said like, how could we see this as disrespectful now? You know, and it's like, it's cool. It's really cool to see that and, uh, and good for him, you know? So Nate, where do you go from here? For instance, it's very clear to me that you're still evolving. You're still growing. You're deeply in thought, like you had your mission as a soldier then. So what is your mission right now? Well, just uh, just shortly after I got cut, uh, I co-founded a charity with Jay Glazer called MVP, which stands for Merging Vets and Players. And our initial idea is like, hey, you know, we're going to bring together combat vets, former professional athletes, and help them find purpose once the uniform comes off. To see how that has evolved over the last three years has been absolutely crazy, too. Like, 
I'm convinced now that the veteran community, the athlete community, will be the two main groups, well, can be at least, two of the main groups that lead the charge in this social justice evolution. You know, they, they really can because of the voice that they have, the respect they've garnered. And uh, so to watch our team at MVP, to watch that, you know, that group grow from just a, a few guys, it was vets from a homeless shelter and a few athletes working out in a gym once a week and then hanging out afterwards and BSing. Now to like mobilizing and like being super involved during this COVID time to, to reach out to our brothers in arms and our brothers uh, on, the, on the ball field and make sure that they're still, they're still good. And then taking up leadership roles and going from someone that lived in a homeless shelter to like running an MVP chapter to now like a lot of these people being, a lot of these veterans being involved uh, in this movement, in the, you know, in the protest, you know, in the peaceful protest, I will say, uh, but also like the listening aspect and, and how they've changed and, and, uh, and how they want to lead the charge and bring our country back together. Because more than anything, as a, as a veteran, uh, it, it, for me anyway, it, it hurts to see how divided we are and uh, how we, we aren't willing to listen to those that have different viewpoints. I mean, when we go to Iraq and Afghanistan, we don't agree and understand all the cultures and customs. We've got to put that stuff aside uh, to, to fight for those that can't fight for themselves, to, to free the oppressed, as we say in the special forces. That's our motto, de oppresso libera. We've got to do that. And like we can do that back home, too. And uh, I just want to be a part of that. That's all. So, Nate, I've spent so many years talking to athletes and asking them the question, what's it like when the uniform comes off? What's it like when you have to take that uniform off and kind of reintegrate into the rest of the world and society? But I haven't really asked that question of a vet. What's it like when you take that uniform off? What's it like for any of our service people when they take their uniform off and they come home? It's scary. <laughs> you know, it can be very scary and very daunting. And, like, it's kind of – there's also the, the element of, like, Oh, I can't wait to get away from that. You know, like uh, kids think that maybe in college, Oh, I can't wait to get out of college and, and get into the real world, man. I'm done with this. And then they look back on it, you know, a year later, man, I missed that, man. I missed that. Those are my greatest days. Um, but also like from a military perspective, specifically, there's so much purpose and mission involved in that. And like belonging, you know, if you're part of this brotherhood, something very special and you're willing to sacrifice everything uh, for your country for people in other countries and, you know, feeling that greatness, feeling like you'll never do anything as great as you did before um, is scary. It's tough. And so that transition is very difficult. And it's, it's very similar for athletes though. Granted, you know, the battlefield, the ball field different. We're never comparing war to playing a game, but the locker room, the camaraderie, the brotherhood, uh, the identity with that uniform, you know, and the, and the mission uh, when you when you walk out on that field or walk out, uh, you know, from the barracks into the <laughs> into the bat, into the battle, uh, it's similar and it's uh, and you feel you feel really important. It feels important. It feels important to be a part of those groups. And once it's gone, it's it's tough. Um, but all you can do is find your next community, find your next team, find your next mission, and that with that will come that purpose and that same feeling. I feel the same things that I feel. When I was that, that same fear that I'm attracted to, that I, that I felt on the battlefield, that I even felt on the football field, I felt when I was standing next to Colin, you know, standing next to Colin with my hand on my heart, proud as ever to be American amidst people booing from the stands, you know, but that's like, that's my mission. Okay, great. Now I have a mission. I know what I want to fix. I don't want that. I don't want to hear that. I don't, I don't want people to feel like he feels uh, the man next to me, you know, so I have a mission. 
So, Nate, before I let you go, when you look around right now, you look around this nation, you see what's going on, are you concerned or are you inspired? Both. (laughs) Both. I'm definitely inspired. I'm definitely inspired by what I'm seeing and um, a lot of the humility from people that didn't maybe feel that way before and are, and are turning their heads down. They're listening and they want to see things change too. I'm also, uh, you know, fearful of, of this continued division and uh, the hijacking of narratives, um, you know, the, the intentional uh, divisiveness from a lot of places. Um, and, and so like that, that, that makes me nervous. That makes me nervous. But I do have faith in our country and everybody in our country um, to be able to come out of that. You know, I think the majority of us, we, we see through that. We see past that and we want to continue to build. And we've all got our emotions. We all have, you know, a feeling when we see something or we hear something totally entitled to that. Um, but we also have to have that empathy. And, uh, and I think we do. And so I, I'm, I'm, I'm more inspired than I am scared. Um, and, and I think we're going to be, we, we have to be stronger for this. We have no other choice. One more thought before you go. In terms of athletes, you made it pretty clear that they can be an impetus of great change, that we can look to athletes and they can have a voice and a platform and they should use that. You know, I, I get this all the time, Nate, and I, I, I could not disagree with this more than I do, but this whole notion of just shut up and dribble, that sports and politics do not mix, that this is not why we come here. What do you make of that argument? When have they not? Right. <laughs> when have they not? I mean, uh, it's like... It's, it's crazy to me. I, I, it's always, and we've always, we look back on these people and the, the legends that truly will, you know, remain with us forever. One of the ones that, you know, left talked about uh, in these times is someone like Roberto Clemente, you know. Um, these people will be remembered forever, and it's so much less for what they did on the field. Maybe not Muhammad Ali, because he maybe was the greatest fighter of all time as well. But, uh, but I mean, even Jackie Robinson, great athlete. You know, four, 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 four letters at UCLA, uh, lettered in four sports. And then, you know, the first uh, African-American player to, to break the color line. It was an incredible ball player. But, like, what will we remember Jackie Robinson for? Not baseball compared to what he did uh, off the field. Well, I guess it was on the field in a sense. But you know what I mean. Uh, these, these are the people that we will be remembered. And uh, we've, I think that's just a crazy notion. I, I don't like the, the thought of anybody sticking to their profession, you know, oh, just Nate, stick to the military. That's all. That's what you do. That's all you know. That's who you are. Don't, don't talk about anything else. Don't, don't, don't have a, an opinion or an emotion or, you know, uh, a voice for those that can't be heard. Like that, that, come on, that's ridiculous. So Nate, if somebody listening right now would like more information about the MVP foundation, where do they go to get it? They go to vetsandplayers.org. Um, we're also on social media at Merging Vets and Players. I think at Vets and Players on, on Twitter. Um, but uh, yeah, vetsandplayers.org for MVP. Excellent. As I mentioned, it's an extremely challenging and troubling time right now, Nate. I appreciate the opportunity to get caught up with you, spend some time long form, get you back on the podcast or get you on the podcast for the first time. And I really appreciate the visit, Nate. It's so great to get caught up. Thanks so much for doing that. Of course, Jim. It's good to talk to you, brother. My thanks to Nate Boyer for his time and his thoughts. Now, if you found that conversation interesting and educational and you want to share it with somebody who you think needs to hear it, by all means, do that. Because the fact of the matter is, we all need to be having difficult conversations during these challenging times. Now more than ever, all of us. 
And while you're here, make sure to subscribe to the podcast so you do not miss a future episode. I am back with number 134 next week. Until then, here are your voicemails. First new message. Yo, Romy Rome, calling from Arizona. It's getting hot out here, but you are keeping the takes on fire, and you are on point this week. Keep up the good work. Been listening to you for 20 years. I hope to keep listening to you for another 20 years. Message saved. Next message. What's up, Vince Mac? This is Brady from Rochester calling. I was getting breakfast ready for my four-year-old son the other day and listening to the show, and you mentioned something about baseball, but as soon as he heard it, he immediately says, Baseball bat? Get this guy a tennis racket. So I just wanted to say that was one of my prouder moments as a father, and thanks for everything. Message deleted. Next message. What's up, Rome? What's up, Snagger? What's up, Ben Smack? What's up, Pimp in the Box? I'm just called to say, Drew Brees is a bitch. And that's the way I got to say it. And I can't wait till my fucking Niners whoop his ass in week 10. I don't give a damn. I know you don't get all political and all that shit, but he's a bitch. He's worse than the nigga trying to go take a tenant and Ronnie home and ruin him. He already ruined my opinion of his ass. Drew Brees is a bitch. Thank you. Message saved. Next message. Jimbo, Dan himself, Ben. Hey, I'm hoping for the smack up this year that Bobby and Brooklyn, Kerwin and Riverside and Terrence and Sierra Madre have finally upgraded the rotary cell phones and will participate in the smack up. Get her done. Message deleted. Next message. Hey, Jim, thanks for the vine, man. This is David from Buffalo. No one is believing Conor McGregor's retirement. I mean, absolutely nobody. Mike from Indy's retirement in 2018 before the smack-off thinks this is bogus and is not going to last. I'm out. Message deleted. Next message. Jimmy, it's me, Conor. Conor McGregor. Jimmy, I got to call you first before anybody else finds out. You're my man, Jimmy. I'm going to fucking quit, Jimmy. I'm going to retire, but I want to break it on your show, Jimmy. Just me and you, man to man. Just me and you. We don't tell nobody else until we do it, Jimmy. I fucking had it with the fight game. I'm going to go back to fucking Scotland and retire. Did did I say Scotland? I mean, I'm going to go back to fucking Ireland and retire, Jimmy. Did I say Ireland? I I mean, I'm going to go back to fucking Vegas, Jimmy. Message deleted. Next message. Romy, Justin from Melbourne. Smack off 26. Let's talk to the suits up there at CBS and get this thing on prime time. Can you imagine the smack off going prime time? That's what I'm talking about. Message saved. You have no more messages. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend, or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.